Turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Philippians chapter 4. As I mentioned last week to you, uh, Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 was the most popular and sought after uh, passage in the Bible in 2019. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7, the most popular passage for 2019. And I want you to see this morning the subject matter, the value of peace of mind in the coming year and beyond. The value of peace of mind in the coming year and beyond. Now, while you find your place in your copy of God's Word, let me mention to you about Lottie Moon. We're only about 6,000, a little over 6,000 away from our goal. Uh, Traditionally, we keep that open uh, through the end of January each year, so you still have time to give. And I do want to remind you that is the primary vehicle through which our Southern Baptist International Mission uh, missionaries are able to stay on their fields of service. And so keep that in mind and give and give generously. Uh, and obviously the church office through the end of the year will be open to receive those year-end gifts as well uh, as any others. Beginning next week, I want to start a series on the Ten Commandments. And to start out the year with the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, God says we are to have no other gods before Him. There are to be no rivals to God in our life. I want you to think about that to start a new year with, how appropriate that is. A reminder to us as we get into 2020 that God is to be first. And so beginning next week, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. By the way, it'd be a great time to invite young people. You know, in schools and all around the country, Ten Commandments have been removed. And uh, we need the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, shall not steal, shall honor your father and mother. I mean, what is more practical than the Ten Commandments? They are the basis of any civil society. So we'll start that uh, next week. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. The value of peace of mind in the coming year and beyond. Paul says there, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask this morning that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, we're all reminded in John 15 that we are nothing and can do nothing apart from you. May our focus now be upon you and you alone. 
I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This week I heard a story online about a woman that was so constantly worried that she and her family would be burglarized in their home at night. It it became almost paralyzing to her for about 10 years. For a decade, she was obsessed that she and her family were going to go to sleep at night and somebody was going to break into their home. Well, one night, a burglar did indeed break into the home while the family was sleeping. The woman woke her husband up who grabbed a ball bat next to the bed. He went downstairs and he came face to face with the burglar. The man said, sir, could you do me a huge favor? And the burglar said, well, I guess that's the least I could do. After all, I broke into your home tonight. What do you have in mind? The man said, would you please come upstairs? My wife has been waiting to meet you for 10 years. Someone wisely said one time that worry reigns over more people than any king or president ever did. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety is like trying to run a foot race with a backpack of rocks on your back. We're weighed down. For some people, worry becomes paralyzing. Worry involves imagining the future with the worst possible outcome in mind with the thing that we're worried about. We worry about our kids. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our finances, our bills. Our retirement, will we have enough to retire one day? We, we worry about the condition of the world. We just worry. And if we don't have something to worry about, just give it time. We'll create something eventually to worry about. The reality is living in a fallen world, things always get sideways in life. So again, just give it enough time and something will probably challenge you or go wrong in your life that you'll be anxious about. I heard this week that 20% of all Americans have gone back to smoking cigarettes. And 75% of Americans admit, now this is the percentage that admits it, 75% admit that they text while driving and they're checking their social media while driving. We meet them on the roads every week, don't we? Every day. So it seems as though we worry about imagined dangers while we ignore very real dangers. 
Studies have been done about the 14 leading nations around the world where anxiety is a real issue. Do you know which nation came out on top of the list? America. Now keep in mind in this list they also looked at nations of the world, places like Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq, places in the world where the average citizen, if they were going to worry about something, they would really have something to worry about. And yet it's the United States of America that tops the list. According to psychologists, anxiety has now surpassed depression and all other mental, mental and emotional disorders. About one in five Americans have been diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder. And again, for many of these people, anxiety is almost paralyzing. And it affects their well-being just about every single day. Folks, we know how to worry. Did you ever stop to consider the fact that worry is something that you don't have to be taught to do? We have to learn to trust, but we don't have to learn to worry. Think about the uselessness of worry. It really doesn't accomplish a thing. Psychologists have noted before that that people tend to worry about things that never come to pass. Dr. Brian Harbour writes, Worry is a sin because it is based upon the assumption that God is not able to take care of our lives. He goes on to say, Worry is therefore a theological problem. More than, a, more than an emotional or mental disorder, it's a, theo, a theological problem, he writes. And the solution is to expand our concept of God to recognize that he is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. That's Paul's point here. Now, in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, if you were to take time to read the entire chapter, you would notice that it is filled with a laundry list of last-minute admonitions. Paul commonly does this in his letters. I give as an example 1 Thessalonians 5. Just listen to this. See if you can count all the admonitions that he he crams in. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form. Of evil. You see what Paul often does at the close of a chapter? He just packs it in with one admonition after another. 
It's not just two or three or four things. It might be 11 or 12 things or even more. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit led him to do that. Aren't you? Because again, this is God's Word. What we learn here is a lesson about the believer's trust that we're to have in God. Whenever we are anxious, we're to commit all of our worries to God in prayer with thanksgiving. I want you to see with me first of all this morning, believers are commanded to resist anxiety. Believers are commanded to resist anxiety. Verse 6 again, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now folks, let's put it in context. If you were to go back to chapter, I mean to verse 5, what's Paul say there? The Lord is at hand. Hang on, we're going to tie it together. The Lord is at hand. Saying the Lord is at hand was often used by the biblical writers as an incentive for godly living. It's a reminder that God is the one in charge and he's coming soon. And when he comes, he's going to render judgment. Hebrews 10, 37 says, For yet a little while and the coming one will come and he will not delay. James 5, 8 says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Folks, it is a reminder that God is in charge. Well, what comes out of all of this? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. If God is the one in charge, if God is sovereign God, if he is providential and purposeful in every single thing that he does... You and I don't need to be anxious about everything. And so Paul is literally commanding here, stop being anxious. It is in the present active imperative. It's something that he is commanding them to stop doing. If anybody could have been worried, it could have been the Apostle Paul. As Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, I want to remind you where he is. He's in jail. He's not in jail for doing something wrong. He's in jail simply for preaching the gospel. The Philippians that he's writing to, they're free. They're enjoying freedom in their lives. And the one who is in jail is writing to this congregation and he's saying, stop being anxious. Worry or anxiety comes from a word that means to be pulled apart in two different directions. In fact, it's a compound form of two Greek words. The first means to be torn or ripped and the second word has to do with your mind. And that's what worry does. It pulls your mind apart. It plays with your thinking in bad ways. The old English word meant to choke or to strangle. Again, that's a good description of what anxiety does. It strangles the very life out of us. 
Anxiety fails to take into account to whom we belong. We have a heavenly father. Anxiety doesn't take God into account. Do we really believe that this sovereign God of the universe will take care of us? Do we really believe that? This has led some writers to refer to needless anxiety as what they call functional atheism. I think they have a point at some level. Living with constant worry about everything is living as though God doesn't exist. Folks, anxiety also fails to take into account the promises of God. He has promised to take care of the life that he's created. You know what this passage sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like maybe the Apostle Paul has just read something in the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord Jesus himself said. Turn with me back to that passage in in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. What Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you a little, little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles, when he said Gentiles, what he meant, uh, the, the Gentiles at the time were pagans who didn't know God. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Again, I think maybe Paul's just read that passage. If God has done the greater thing, which is give you your life in the first place, God created you. He knit you together inside your mother's womb. Just go back and read Psalm 139 sometime. God knit you together in your mother's womb. And he formed every single part of you and he intimately knows you. If God did that, which is the greater, don't you think that God can look after your daily necessities. The reformer Martin Luther commented one time that the little sparrow that would sit on his windowsill every day was probably the best preacher that he ever encountered because God took care of that little sparrow. Folks, we are of value to God so we don't have to worry. 
I want you to think a moment where our value comes from. Society says your value comes from your looks or your income or your position in life, what you do for a living, where you live, who your friends are. All of these things are performance driven. And people worry so much about it. They worry whether or not they'll measure up to society's standards. Will I make the grade? Will I be accepted? Will I even measure up to what my friends expect of me and think of me? But what value does Scripture assign to human life? Scripture again points out that you are made in the image of God. The imago dei, the image of of God. You're created in God's image. Everybody you meet has value, intrinsic value, just by nature of the fact that that is a person, even lost people, it's a person who is made in the image of God. And as such, they have a certain amount of dignity and honor and we're to pay them respect. They're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. Everybody you meet. That person you want to gossip about, that person you want to make fun of, that person you want to bully or pick on or whatever, that is a person God's made in his image. That's where human value comes from. And not only in the fact that somebody's made in the image of God, but, but a second thing that, that really gives us our value is the sense that Scripture says, For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten Son. And what did the Son of God do? The Son of God went to the cross and he died for your sin and my sin. That's where value comes from. It comes from who God says you are and what God's done for you. You say, what's all this have to do with worry? It has everything to do with worry. If I thought for one minute there was no God and even if there was that he didn't love me, then I would have reason to worry about every detail of my life. But knowing he's there, I'm created in his image. He's preparing a place for me. He loves me. He'll not allow anything to happen in my life that has not first of all been sifted through his loving fingers. Now folks, that's liberating. That means that I don't have to fret about every single thing that comes along in life. God's got it. God's taken care of it. It's like Paul says in, in Romans 8, 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God. God who justifies. Now that's value in life. Amen? And so believers are being commanded to resist anxiety. Secondly, I want you to see that believers are to lay all of their requests before God. Paul goes on to say, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
Now, folks, if all we had were Paul's words at the very beginning of the verse, it would seem like an impossible command to obey. You know, the truth is, it's awfully easy to say, don't worry. It's something else to stop doing it. So how? How in the world can we stop worrying? How can we stop being so anxious about everything in life? Paul gives us the answer here. It's by praying. By praying. So the second part of the verse gives the rationale for the first part of the verse. Because again, on our own, it's next to impossible to cease from worry. But we can cease from worry by trusting God through prayer. Living an anxious-free life doesn't mean that we, we are disconnected from everything in some kind of cold, emotionless existence where, where, where we cut off all feelings, all emotions. That's not how we achieve an anxiety-free life. The way that we achieve an anxiety-free life, or at least manage it the way God would have us to, is by praying. Again, that sounds just like what Jesus said on one occasion. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, Jesus told a parable. He said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He's putting the two in opposition to one another. You'll you'll probably either faint by the demands of life or you, you can pray. Some people do everything but pray when they're worried. Some binge, eat, or drink, or do drugs, or withdraw from life. But what's the Christian response to be? The Christian response is to be to pray. We're to have a very unique answer to worry, and that is prayer. The very things that worry us are to be the things that we turn over to God in prayer. One commentator said, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to one another than fire and water. And so Paul uses a number of words here. The first word that he uses here, he says in verse 6, but in everything by prayer. That Underscore that first word, prayer. That's just a general word for going before God in an attitude of worship and calling out to Him. It's, just, it, it's a very general word without any specifics to it. But what it does... It, it, it sets the frame of reference. It sets the, the mindset. Because when we're worried, who are we focused on? We're focused on us. Ourselves. But he uses a word here that means we're, we're to turn our gaze away from ourselves and we're to turn to God. And so it's fitting that he gives that word first. And then he uses the word supplication. It means that we're to tell God about all of the things that are on our hearts. 
all of our needs, all of our cares, all of our concerns. What's troubling you today? What's been heavy on your heart lately? That's what you should pray about. Notice also that he uses still another word or a phrase. He says, with thanksgiving. We're to be grateful to God for everything. Even the things that you are worried about might be in the long run the very things that God will end up using the most in your life. Have you ever thought about that? If nothing else, you can be grateful for it because even if you can't see what God's going to do in your life through that thing you're worried about, that's the thing that's putting you down on your knees to begin with. So you can be grateful for that if nothing else. So when you're worried, take time to get along with God, worship Him, tell Him about everything that's worrying you, and before you get up off your knees and leave, don't forget to give God Do that this next year. Think about everything in 2019 that's had you anxious. Turn each and every single one of those things into a bullet point in your prayer time. You know, some people say, Pastor, I I get down on my knees to pray. I try to to have a quiet time. I read my Bible, get down on on my knees to pray. And I run out of that. I don't know what to pray about. Pray about what's worrying you. If you pray about what's been worrying you, guess what? I think you're going to have all you can deal with in your prayer time. Also think about something else. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. Have you ever solved your problems through anxiety alone? If you can do something to fix the problem, then fix the problem. But if you know it's out of your hands and you can't do anything to fix the problem, then why worry about it? Because you can't do anything anyway. Third, I want you to say believers are promised not necessarily what they have asked for, but their promised peace. Paul says in verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I I want you to think about the words of of this verse here again very carefully. Because it is an amazing promise. Again, look at it. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now, folks, we've got to to first make a very important distinction here. Paul is not talking about peace with God. Okay? There's a huge difference between peace with God and the peace of God. A little preposition there can make a big difference, right? What is peace 
with God. We'll come back to the peace of God in a moment. But what is peace with God? What's that all about? Peace with God is a statement about redemption, about forgiveness, about being, being reconciled to a holy God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says you and I were at odds. We, are, we were at enmity with God. We were, we were God's enemies. And what did God do while we were in that condition? He sent His Son to die for us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were the objects of God's wrath. We had no hope and no help, no future. Todd, did you notice in Todd's offertory prayer, he, he talked about hope. Well, apart from Christ, we had no hope. And God did for you and God did for me what you and I could not do for ourselves. You see, man thinks he can reconcile himself to God through keeping the law or doing enough good that you can't reconcile yourself to God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before holy God. You can't make yourself have peace with God. That's out of your hands. God did it in Christ. That's why it's called grace and mercy. God's the one who reconciled you. And through Christ, you have peace with him. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified, being reconciled, what God does, we have peace with God. Then, if you have peace with God, you can enjoy the peace of God. You see the connection? Think about it. God is at peace. God, God's not pacing back and forth in the heavens. He's not wearing a rut in the clouds. He's not wringing his hands. God is at perfect peace. The Bible describes God as the God of peace. And notice what Paul says about the peace of God. It surpasses all understanding. You can't even put it into words. It's amazing. When you, when you enjoy the peace of God, it's a peace down deep in your heart and mind so deep. If somebody asks you to, to try to describe it in human language, I don't think you would be able to adequately do that. It surpasses that. God gives us a peace greater than all of our plans based on our own ingenuous ways. People design all kinds of ways that they think they can achieve peace. But none of those end up working. None of those can do what God alone can do. Paul's likewise not talking about the kind of peace that you have when everything's going well. That kind of peace is, is understandable. He's talking about the kind of peace with God that God gives you even in the midst of your valleys, the midst of your trials and tribulations and troubles, where by all human standards you would not be at peace. And yet God gives you peace. It surpasses all understanding. It's the gift of God. 
Notice what he says, this peace will guard your hearts and minds. The heart and the mind is where anxiety really shakes us to our very core. Our emotions and our thinking gets all messed up. But the peace of God calms the storms of life that unsettle the heart and the mind. Notice that he says this peace will guard your hearts. That word guard, circle that or underscore that. That was a word that was used in the first century of a military battalion. A military battalion that would encircle a city and protect it. And what's Paul saying? God will put up a, a, a battalion around your life of peace. God will set up his watch care over your life. And he will minister his watchful eye to you and his graceful touch on you. And you will be safe. Now folks, what's so fitting about these words? Paul talking about this military battalion this guard, is that Philippi had such a military battalion. You see, the city of Philippi was also a Roman colony. They had dual citizenship in Philippi. They were citizens of Macedonia on the one hand, and Rome had also awarded the city of Philippi Roman citizenship, and they had a Roman military guard there in Philippi. Isn't that amazing about the Bible? When Paul mentions that, you see how Paul's words fit this particular congregation. So Paul is saying, God is going to set up that type of guard around you that when you go out of your homes every day and you're walking through the streets of the city of Philippi, one of the things you're seeing is this Roman guard in Philippi because you're a Roman colony. Well, God's going to set up that kind of guard over your life. Nobody back then would have dared mess with the Roman guard. Rome was the world power. And so Paul uses this analogy to point out to the church there that they have an even stronger force than Rome looking after them. They have God himself. Amen? Can I get a witness? God said to Isaiah, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He doesn't say there won't be weapons. But he says they won't prosper. God doesn't say you'll have a trouble-free life, an anxiety-free life in a fallen world. Because you will. But God will guard you. I want to give you four lessons, then we're going to close. Lesson number one, and, and write these down. God is sovereign, therefore we are to trust Him and not be torn up all the time by worry. God is sovereign, therefore we are to trust Him and not be torn up all the time by worry. Remember again, Jesus said, not even a little sparrow falls to the earth without God knowing about it. Christians, 
We do not believe in accidents and fate and coincidences. We believe in a God who is sovereign and providential over all of the world and over our lives. And that fact alone should help us begin the journey away from anxiety. Lesson two. You have value beyond anything the world assigns to you by virtue of being created in God's image and also having Christ die for you. You have value beyond anything the world assigns to you by virtue of being created in God's image and having Christ die for you. A third lesson. The believer has access to God in prayer Through Jesus Christ. And then lastly. Having access to God through Christ. We need to take all matters of life before God. What has you concerned as 2019 is beginning to to close out? And 2020 is about to begin. Doesn't doesn't that sound strange saying 2020? 2020. What has you anxious as one year closes, another year begins? You know, there's a hymn that says, Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we will not carry everything to God in prayer. How true those words are. Scripture says you're to cast all your care upon the Lord, knowing that He cares for you. He cares for you. And guess what? He has proven that by sending His Son. While you were an enemy, while you were alienated from God, He sent His Son. While you were in that condition... How much more will he be at work in your life now that you're his child? You can cast all your care upon him knowing that he cares for you. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? And as you bow with me in prayer, I want to ask you, do you know Christ? Because folks, Paul's talking to Christians here. If you don't know Christ, you're still on your own. This this promise that we closed with in this passage, it's not for you. This promise is for the believer. Come to Christ today. Has he been knocking at your heart? The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Christ. I'll be down here to pray with you. Pastor Seeger will be, Pastor Knight will pray with you. Do you need a church home where you can fellowship with other believers who live in a fallen world too and share concerns with you and you can pray together and encourage one another? You come forward. And again, Christians, remember... Whatever has you worried, 
ought to be specific points in your prayer life that you surrender over to God. You've tried it your way. Why don't you try it Scripture's way? Why don't you do what God says?